This is Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS. Hi, and welcome back to Weekly Woman. I'm Alice Cash, your host of the podcast, and this month we're doing things a little bit differently. This August marks the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment of our Constitution when women were given the right to vote. So with every Weekly Woman this month, we're also going to call attention to amazing women in history who are kicking butts and giving us all civil liberties. So to start things off, let's hear about a rather unknown suffragette, Inez Milholland, born August 6th, 1866, so it's fitting that we're talking about her on the anniversary of her birth. Inez remains famous as the woman on the white horse of the suffragette movement. Seriously, she sat astride a white horse named Grey Dawn, wearing all white with a flowing white cape, an old knight's helmet with a star on top, and looks like Joan of Arc heading into battle. She was leading more than 8,000 protesters at a parade in Washington, D.C. before Woodrow Wilson's presidential inauguration in 1913. She was born into a wealthy family, the eldest daughter of John and Jean Milholland. Her father was a reporter and socialist, unusually pushing for women's suffrage, and a reformer with the National Association of Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. She grew up in London, but then went to Vassar College, where she challenged rules banning the discussion of suffrage on the campus by holding meetings at a cemetery across from the school. Seriously, pretty ghostly. When she graduated, she went to NYC and worked as a suffragette and advocated towards women's labor rights. She was even arrested for picketing with laundry workers and tailors during strikes in 1909 and 1910, where she then used her wealth to pay bail for other strikers and to organize fundraisers. She eventually went to NYU Law after being rejected by Yale and Harvard for being a woman, and she was a pacifist protesting the U.S. entering World War I and became a war correspondent for the New York Tribune during the war. As a woman, she fought to be allowed to visit the front lines of the war in Italy, but her anti-war stance caused her to be thrown out of the country. She became the face of the suffrage movement, leading parades and called by the New York Sun that no suffrage parade was complete without Inez Milholland. But she also became the martyr for the cause. She continued to tour and fight for the right to vote, even though her physician told her that she shouldn't travel. She was giving a speech in L.A. in 1916 when she collapsed, was rushed to the hospital, and died weeks later of anemia. Her death shocked the nation and the other suffragettes. Her last words in her speech before she collapsed were, Mr. President, how long must woman wait for liberty? Let me repeat that. Mr. President, how long must women wait for liberty? Mill Holland fought for her beliefs. Don't her last words ring true to today? What are we fighting for right now? What are you protesting? What kind of liberty do you need in our society? Today on Weekly Woman, we're bringing back Charlotte Coyle, a senior at George Mason University, a fighter for period equality, and an advocate for women in prisons. We're so excited to get to talk to this amazing woman making strides and fighting for her causes. Welcome, Charlotte. Yeah, so we're just going to start off with some, like, fun questions. Um, What is your favorite food? Uh, Anything Italian, definitely. (laughs) <laughs> I love pasta, um, especially puttanesca. It's like this sauce. My mom used to make it for me all the time when I was little. It has like olives, capers, garlic, onions in it. 
super good. Definitely my favorite by far. <laughs> that sounds so good. Do you have a favorite um, restaurant in the city, in D.C.? Um, not restaurant per se. Like, I honestly go to more coffee shops than I do restaurants. Okay. Cool. It's kind of like my side hobby is I, I try to find all the best like local coffee shops. Um, probably my favorite in this area in like Fairfax uh, is Caboose Commons. Huh. It's this old warehouse, it's like a three-story warehouse. They turned into like a brewery slash coffee house and they also have really good food. So it's a great place to study because you can get like a coffee or a beer and like a sandwich. And it's really good. Oh, that sounds awesome. Caboose Commons. So yeah. everyone in Fairfax should go. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are you watching on TV right now? Um, I kind of go back and forth between either like comedies or like detective serial killer type of stuff. <laughs> I watch different. Uh, yeah, completely different. But I watched a show differently, um, like or, or recently on Netflix called Broadchurch. Uh, it's like a oh British. My God, it's so good. You seen it? Yes. Yes, I love it. Yeah, I watched that recently. So good. And like season three of Atypical just came out. I don't know if you've seen Atypical. I seen that one. It's about like a guy in college with autism, and he's kind of it's kind of it's a comedy, but it's also like about him like getting through like college and life and everything. And it's really good. So I'm like super excited that the third season just came out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what's your must-have in your purse? Um, if you could tell, red lipstick. <laughs> That's like my essential item I have to have. I have like several different shades of red lipstick, oh, actually. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> okay, what's your, um, what's your favorite book you're reading right now? Oh, right now, let's see. Uh, I just got a James Patterson novel, like first edition James Patterson novel, because um, I love like mystery kind of stuff, and it, it's called Step on the Crack. Um, and it's kind of about like, it's actually has, it's in, D in DC. It's about like a lot of like powerful politicians and then like things going on behind the scenes. And it's like a thriller kind of, but it's, it's good. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that sounds fun. And so fun to read about it when you're like living in that city. So you kind yeah. of get like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like a different take. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, can you talk about moving to DC? Um, you said you 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 grew up in Houston and then you went to school and then transferred to GMU. Um, can you talk a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so I actually I grew up in Louisiana. Actually, I, I was born in Baton Rouge um, and I moved to Houston during high school. Um, but yeah, so I went to college in Houston for my first two years at Lone Star, and I ended up transferring up here, kind of just for a lot of different reasons, mainly uh, because of their forensic psychology program at George Mason is really good. And it's kind of like a unique field. So like, it's hard to find a school that like ha offers courses in that. So that was cool that they had that. And then also just the proximity to DC was important for me because I've always been really involved in politics. And um, like I did a lot of activist things in Houston, but there's so much here. And, um, and interning in DC as well is like a great opportunity. That's kind wow. of what brought me up here. <laughs> That's awesome. And what made you want to study forensic psychology? Uh, so, I mean, I've always been interested in the criminal justice system and, and how it works or doesn't work a lot of the time. Um, I used to want to go into criminal law, actually. But then as I got more into psychology, I've done a lot of research into like the mental health uh, system within the criminal justice system. 
and like how lacking it is really. I mean, it's really an issue because a lot of, uh, like there's not a lot of funding for it, even within like the community in general, but especially within the criminal justice system, both like the, the state, federal and local governments do not give enough funding to be able to take care of people. And what happens a lot of the time, sadly, is that especially like in Houston, for example, the Harris County Jail has become the largest mental health facility in Texas. Um, which wow. because a lot of the hospitals and facilities in the communities have had to close down or significantly reduce their size due to the lack of funding. And they just can't keep it up. They can't hire enough people to staff them. And it's very sad because people will be in and out of jail all the time for nonviolent offenses, things like trespassing or stealing, especially like with like drug substance abuse related problems. And those often overlap with mental illnesses. So you have people that are in need of several different forms of treatment, just sitting in jail, not charged with anything, but they don't want to just send them back out on the street. But then they call up a mental health hospital and they're like, okay, well, it's going to be average 160 day wait to get them in here. Yeah, that's the average time. So, day wait. Yeah, that's the average time in Texas. And so they're sitting in jail for 160 plus days, not charged with anything and not getting the treatment they need. That's insane. Yeah. And so and some finding out those kind of things through like research and talking to people was like, wow, okay, we have a lot of work to do. So that's what made me want to get into forensic psychology. Wow. And what do you want to do with that after school? Um, I know there's like different routes you could go down in like the politics arena or like really working with inmates themselves. Um, do you have like an idea about that yet? Uh, I kind of time in the world though. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to do, I want to conduct a lot uh, more research into like how to come up with safe and effective uh, treatments for mental disorders wow. because that's kind of a major problem as well is I mean, people having to go through several different kinds of medications that often make them worse <laughs> than better when trying to figure out how to treat their, their, uh, their mental disorder and different types of therapies. And so that's one thing I want to do is really focus on the research to how, to how to come up with more effective treatments. And then like going into the criminal justice system, I would really want to work like in, in actual like detention facilities and everything, work with inmates in the courts and really try to like individually help people get the, uh, the resources they need to be able to thrive and have access to opportunities that are often stripped away from people that are involved in the criminal justice system or have you know some sort of criminal background. Wow that's amazing I really didn't know anything about that. Um, I do I have heard that it is hard to get feminine products into prisons and like have access for them for for women. Yes um, yes so, I mean, really, the criminal justice system was built with men in mind, as things often are. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, really, you know, women were not really expected to be incarcerated as much when the criminal justice system was being designed. Of course, now we have, you know, increasing numbers every year of women being incarcerated, and they honestly just really don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, one of the major things uh, is, you know, access to these hygiene products, as well as uh, pregnant women, like I'm sure you've heard about the issues with like shackling pregnant women and all those different things and miscarriages. And yeah, so there's a lot of issues. But yeah, receiving like hygiene products every month, you know, it's something that's a recurring thing we need every month. And, you know, it's either rationed um, to where they don't get enough, like they might get like three pads a month or something. What? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then like, or they'll have to go buy them from commissary and they can be 
four or five dollars for one tampon or one pad and if you you don't have an income unless someone's sending you money you don't really have an income so then you can't afford it and you might just have to go without and um and it's really sad because they often don't give them you know an extra change of clothes if they bleed through their clothes so like you're just in those they don't get extra time to shower outside of your allotted time and then if you've bled through your clothes they also won't let you see any visitors so if your visitors come during that time you just can't see them and it's i mean it's awful it's horrible so yeah that's definitely a major issue within like the menstrual movement that's insane can you talk about how you got involved with the menstrual movement yeah so i mean the period movement i kind of just heard about it first just over social media and everything Mm -hmm. and then i found out that gmu actually has a period movement chapter on campus and one of my friends uh she was involved with them and i was talking with her and we ended up like all going to the rally together on national period day in front of the capitol and um, the founder of period GMU, her name's Shafiq Nassim, he actually spoke at the rally, and um, yeah, and it was, so it was a really, it was a really great day there, and I'm trying to get involved with them more now, um, finding out, they're doing a lot of, like, volunteer things on campus, Uh, this weekend, I think we're putting together, like, female hygiene kits to give out to people that that need them, so. That's wonderful, and you're kind of do so you're also working on Capitol Hill at the same time, you said, um, and working for Congresswoman Sylvia Garcia, who's um, working on, I'm sorry, what is the word? Um, the Menstrual Equality for All Act. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So working on Capitol Hill has been really, really great. Uh, it's kind of cool to be in like the middle of it all and seeing how it works. Um, one of the coolest things for me is just how much I've learned so far. I've only been working there for a few months, but I've already learned so much because I, I've gotten to research so many different, like any topic you can name basically, because current legislation, there's just, there's so much going on. And I kind of have to be well-versed in it to be able to like both discuss and write back constituents because that's one main part of my job. That's it's so cool. cool. Yeah, so it's really cool to be able to, to talk to people and see what their different perspectives are. But yeah, so I've learned a lot doing that. And then like another thing I get to do is attend briefings about like just different topics. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of people that come and do briefings. I went to one recently that was hosted by Amnesty International and um, it was about the treatment of trans women in detention facilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had some women there that had recently been released from a detention facility in like New Mexico. And they were testifying talking about their experience and it was really like heart wrenching because um, they were treated terribly. Often trans women are like separated, isolated from everyone else. There was one woman there who had lost a lot of her teeth because um, she oh. hadn't been given any treatment. Um, she had like cavities and things. And, yeah, so it's really terrible, um, but it's something it's just you get to really like educate yourself on all these issues that even mm-hmm. if I knew about them before, maybe I didn't know about them as in depth. And like, you know, it's different from like watching it on the news and then getting to actually be there and like talk to people, ask questions, talk to people that are making the laws. So um, it's really cool. And then, yeah, Congresswoman Garcia is a co-sponsor on the, um, it's called HR 1882, sorry, the Menstrual Equity for All Act. Um, It was introduced in May in the House, um, but it hasn't been brought up for a vote yet. It's kind of in committees right now. Congresswoman Garcia is on the Judiciary and the Financial Services Committee, which are both uh, working on that bill. And it's basically the bill is trying to increase the affordability and accessibility of menstrual hygiene products 
to people, um, to everyone, and to, especially people who have limited access. Mm -hmm. so, so the passage of that would ensure that people have free access to those products in schools, in, in detention facilities, and incarcerated facilities, uh, that large employers would have to provide them, and that uh, Medicaid would have to cover the cost of those products for everyone that they um, provide for as well, and that all federal public buildings would have to provide those products for free. So wow. a major step in the right direction. That's amazing. I really hope that goes through. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Um, can you talk about um, what, what your definition is for being a woman? I know it's like constantly changing and um, like just minute to minute, but what is it for you right now? Uh, for me, for me, it really is uh, just about like empowering myself and kind of breaking through my own barriers um, and things that as I've grown up, for example, like I grew up in a very Southern Baptist community um, and like church and everything. And it was often kind of talked about, you know, as women as kind of like second class citizens almost um, that, you know, we're, we're here to really like nurture and care for other people but not so much really go after our own ambitions and goals was kind of the message that I received a lot when I was younger from like my church and community. And it always made me uncomfortable and I never liked that. And my whole, my whole thing for me anyways, being a woman is being able to have ambitions and goals and fight for, fight for myself to be able to do those things as well as to empower other women to have those opportunities and be able to reach their goals. It's kind of my, my main thing is kind of like yes. supporting other women. Yeah. Yas queen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's amazing. Um, so I just have like, like, so if a woman were to ask you on the street for a piece of advice and you could tell her anything, what would it be? Uh, so this, this is something that I've had to kind of learn the hard way, but I would probably say learn to put yourself first and love yourself because that sounds kind of cliche, but honestly, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, you know, especially, like I said, like growing up, growing up a society that's telling you, you know, you're supposed to care for and look out for others. It kind of almost leaves yourself out of the equation. And to me, you know, it's like, yes, you should care for other people. Yes, you should look out for others, but you need to put yourself first and you need to love yourself because that's, if you're, if your mental health isn't, isn't okay, if you're not okay, if you can't support yourself, then nothing else is going to matter anyways. So that's, that's what I've had to learn kind of growing up is like, you have to learn to be there for yourself because at the end of the day, you're the only one that's going to support yourself anyways, you know, so. Yeah, that's very true. That's something I still need to work on. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is working on, like, yeah. throughout your whole life. Yeah, it's yeah. different. <laughs> um, Charlotte, what's next for you? Do you have this thing on the Hill? You're, so have you started volunteering at the Fairfax Detention Center yet? Or? I'm going to be starting that soon. Um, oh, wow. yeah, I met with some people who work there and kind of discussing what I'm going to be doing. So I'm going to be helping, like, teach classes there anything from like anger management classes to like impact of crime to also to draw like job skills and just like mm -hmm. skills um i'm going to be helping with that there and hopefully i will be starting within the next few weeks um been discussing that yeah it's it's a really it's a really good program they have there and our our sheriff in fairfax county her sheriff kincaid she just got reelected like last week so oh. <laughs> but she actually started up this program and started up like a court 
in Fairfax County that's meant specifically to kind of redirect um, nonviolent offenders to like treatment and care or group homes if needed rather than sending them to jail, which is amazing. And we need that in like every county across the country. So she's done a really good job with that. And um, that's kind of part of the program that I'm gonna be helping with, so. Oh, that's amazing, Charlotte. Wow. Yeah, I look forward to hearing more about it and like seeing what you're up to on social media. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners? Uh, I'd like to say, let's see, a couple of things. Great. One, uh, always put your mental health first. It's kind of what I was touching on, but that, yes, that is so important. It's underrated in, um, in our society for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, always put it first. If you need to not hang out with your friends for a day or even not go to work for a day, do it, you know, give yourself time. Um, that's very important. And then second of all, I'd like to say to everyone that's listening, reach out to your representatives, look up your local representatives, you know, email them, call them or do both and ask them to please uh, co-sponsor and vote for HR 1882, Menstrual Equity for All Act. Because as we've talked about, it's very important to ensure that all those who menstruate, whether you know in school and work or behind bars, are treated equitably and able to receive these products that they need. So just please do that. And also continue to fight for change and equality and never stop, <laughs> never stop fighting. So yes, <laughs> thank you so much for being on today. Um, it was so nice to get to talk to you. Yeah, you too.